This is Weekly Signals Interviews, broadcast every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9 on KUCI, 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. While the greatest generation deserves our praise for surviving the Depression and fighting in World War II, the baby boomers, according to our guest today, Leonard Steinhorn, are in many ways as great a generation, if not greater, for how they have advanced equality and freedom at home. It's fashionable to mock boomers as self-involved and materialistic, but what really is the true legacy of the boomers? In his latest book, The Greater Generation, in defense of the baby boom legacy, Steinhorn reminds us that today we live in a far more open, inclusive, tolerant, and equal America than at any other time in our history. That's because, as his book explains, baby, baby boomers from the 60s onward have fought a great cultural war to free America from its prejudices, inequalities, and fears. Steinhorn is a professor of communication at the university, American University in Washington, D.C., where he teaches politics, media, and American culture. Leonard Steinhorn, welcome to Weekly Signals. Thanks for having me. How are you today? I'm well. How are you doing? I'm doing great. At last. At last. <laughs> yes. Uh, tell me, uh, what, what prompted you to write this book? Is, was there a, a moment in time where you decided you... It was time to come to defense of uh, baby boomers, or was this just something building up inside of you? Well, I think it's a combination of all, but I did have a very revealing conversation with one of my honor students a few few years back when I said I was thinking of writing a book about boomers, my generation, uh, and she sort of looked at me and she goes, huh, she goes, well, they sort of fought in Vietnam, and I hear that some of them did some drugs, but she goes, what else did they ever do, and why would you want to, you know, write about them? <laughs> So I was sort of taken aback. I sort of started saying to her, okay, well, what do you think? Do you think that women should uh, only work in the home and, you know, sort of uh, produce babies, or do you think women should have equal rights? And, and I said, what do you think about environmental protection? Do you think that should be a priority in our society? And what about sort of interracial couples? Does that bother you, or you think it's okay? And on all of these issues, among others, she was sort of, of, of course it's okay for people to date whoever they want, and of course women should have equal opportunities, and of course we should support the environment, and of course prejudice and discrimination are bad. But she never connected that to the baby boom generation and how boomers have changed America from a 1950s era in which a lot of those bad things were well in place and part of the status quo. Now, what was your impression then, uh, if you remember back when uh, Tom Brook, uh, uh, Brokow's book came out, The Greatest Generation? Was there, is there any first impression you had of that book? Do you think it was too flowery? Well, you know, my dad fought in World War II, and like uh, so many of his generation, you know, he, he, they were heroes. They saved our country from the worst enemies of freedom ever known to humankind. So I never want to take anything away from what they did or what they accomplished uh, and, and give them full praise and credit. But it's funny, Brokaw did try and do this sort of little minuet around the problems of equality and personal freedom and issues like uh, prejudice and, and, and discrimination that existed in the 1950s. He sort of ran from those issues in the book. And so when I read the book, uh, sort of my eyebrow, eyebrows raised, and I said, huh, 
he's having a hard time reconciling the fact that this really was a great generation in terms of what they did, but they sort of accepted the status quo for whatever reason when they came back uh, after the war. Um, so it, it made me think that somehow this story needs to be told about who, in fact, changed the norms and attitudes of our society to make us this better America that we are today. So, it, I mean, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, nor do I want to denigrate my, my, my parents' generation, but it sounds like they were a, a very duty-bound generation in many ways, that they, that there was a call to arms, a car, call to defend the country, and they, they did it. They did it honorably and very well, but they, they, were, they were more willing to follow authority than, this, than the boomers were. Well, I think that's a very uh, perceptive insight. Um, uh, I, there are two poll or survey numbers that I've uh, discovered. I did a lot of research in terms of attitude uh, surveys um, using the, the great general social survey put out by the University of Chicago. And there are two questions that kept coming up well into the 90s in which boomers and their parents diverged. One of them was, should young people be taught to follow their elders or think on their own? The older generation always said, follow their el elders, Boomers kept saying, think on your own. Mm -hmm. And the other question was, you know, if uh, there's a law that's out there that you might think is wrong, do you still think it's better to follow the law or the rule or to sort of object based on your conscience? And again, that split. The older generation said, follow the law, follow the rule. Boomers said, act on your conscience. Yeah. So it's sort of a fascinating division, and I think part of that division came about at the time because boomers saw those in authority supporting some of the problematic issues in our society. They kept seeing segregationist senators getting reelected, becoming committee chairs, and facing no consequences for things like that. I mean, there was one senator from Georgia, Richard Russell, um, who actually put an amendment on a bill, or tried to put an amendment on a bill, suggesting that uh, black people from the South be exported to the rest of the country so that every state had an equal number, equal percentage of blacks. Unbelievable. And there were no consequences for that. And also Vietnam, of course, you know, the repeated lies and mistruths of sending young people uh, to fight and to die in Vietnam. Um, how can you trust authority when that was what authority represented? Of course, Nixon and Watergate. So I think boomers have a different perspective, and I would say it's a healthier distrust of authority, and it goes back to what our founding fathers were all about. Yeah. Yeah. They distrusted authority. As the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution are documents that reflect a certain healthy distrust of authority. Well, I want to go back to something you mentioned at the very top of the interview, and I, I find that I encounter quite often myself. You're the, uh, the student that you were speaking to about the, ri the rationale for the book, and why is it? Because I mean, I'm of the opinion we've been fighting a culture war now for about 40 years, mm -hmm. and and is is her reaction to your your proposal to or when you were talking about the boomers, is that is is she is she I would say a casualty of the culture war, but is she a byproduct of the culture war where uh, the good that was done in the 60s and 70s has been so obfuscated, so so obscured over time that she would have no idea what actually happened. Well, I would actually take it one step further. I think that she is a good product of the culture wars in the sense that she has internalized all those good values and takes them for granted as if they've always been that way. 
Now, the downside of that, of course, is if you think it's always been this way, you never think it's going to change so you don't have to worry about it and you don't have to fight to preserve it. Um, but in many ways, I mean, she has fundamentally, as so many of my students do, liberal or conservative in terms of their political affiliation. They have egalitarian perspective. They think discrimination and prejudice is bad and, and inexcusable. Um, they believe in full equality between men and women. They have no issue with gay people or anyone else else who wants to lead their life without hurting anyone from doing it and being protected by the law to be able to do it. Um, and, and they all say, yeah, I, I think we need to protect the environment. So it's funny that across the board, those values have been internalized, but people just don't appreciate it. As I always say in the book, I say sort of like the young female basketball star who says, oh, no, I'm not a feminist, but never asks how the ball got into her hand and which generation accomplished that. I want to remind our listeners we're speaking with Leonard Steinhorn. He is the author of The Greater Generation in Defense of the Baby Boom Legacy. Well, in spite of, uh, of uh, the internalizing of some of the values of the Baby Boom Generation, why is it that it's gotten such a horrible rap? I, I, I've gone online and put in Baby Boomer, and it usually at the top of a, of a Google search brings up about five or six sites that are that are anti-boomer. Yeah, there are, I've even seen them like kill all the boomers. Yes. And, you know, there's some just uh, sort of screeds uh, out there. Um, I think it, it, it's happening for a number of reasons. Um, one is that the media tend to focus on the here and now without the context. We know that about the media. It's one of the benefits and one of the drawbacks of the media. Now, let's say that instead of boomers today under the media spotlight, it was the founding fathers. Well, would they be praised the way they are now? No, they'd probably be criticized roundly for their support and acquiescence in slavery. And in the 1950s, the greatest generation was routinely criticized for the conspicuous consumption and keeping up with the Joneses at the time. So I think the media spotlight tends to focus on the blemishes without looking at the big picture. I think another reason is that boomers tend to be self-critical because they want to point out hypocrisy in anyone. So, you know, who better to point it out than in yourself? So I think boomers, to some extent, have been self-critical, and that's good. That's healthy. Um, uh, I wish other generations in the past would have been more self-critical. Um, but I think there's another issue there, and that is that boomers do represent these social changes, uh, this new America, this sort of more inclusive and pluralistic America. And those who don't like the pluralism, those who wish that they were only the only moral voices on the center stage of American life, they can't accept those changes and therefore project that anger out onto boomers. And if you can say that boomers are just selfish and materialistic and narcissistic, then maybe you can make the leap that all of these changes were selfish and materialistic and narcissistic. And in fact, a lot of the people who are critical, let's say, of women's rights, they go on to say that women are being selfish who want to work, which is an astonishing statement in and of itself, but it goes to the fact that people who don't like the changes try and undermine them the same way a negative political campaign goes to undermine a candidate rather than to address what that candidate represents and what that candidate's issues are. Well, I I, I want to kind of j- jump around here uh, a little bit because um, while I am a boomer, I'll, I'll, I admit to that, to that uh, I, I feel like so much of what was Im- important to me politically and socially, much of the social part has come to pass. But a lot of the political stuff 
has gotten completely lost and and abandoned and worse turned on in on itself and i if if the boomers have been successful i think they have to a great degree they haven't been as politically successful as i would have imagined them to be the 80s we got reagan and then we got bush and then we got a watered-down liberal in Clinton, and now we have Bush again. It just seems like we haven't been able to exert the political power that I would have thought we would. Well, I think that's partly because boomers looked at the political scene and deemed it as something that wasn't as worth their time as changing the culture or standing outside electoral politics and changing things. So what I think what happened is that when boomers saw, let's say, all, you know, sort of the sclerosis on civil rights and on race relations and, and on Vietnam, boomers said, oh my gosh, maybe we can't get anything done in politics, so let's go outside of politics into advocacy groups. So the good side to all of this is that we've seen an explosive growth of advocacy and nonprofit groups in the baby boom era. In the 50s and 60s, the IRS reported maybe 5,000 new nonprofit groups a year. Um, from the late 70s on, it's been about 35 to 45,000 a year. So I think what boomers have done is they've turned their energy toward venues in which they think they can affect certain change on the sort of a advocacy and cultural angle. Um, if you think that you can't get change in politics, well, then you go find some other place to get change. It's the same reason in the economy why we've, why we've had such a burst of entrepreneurialism, because a lot of boomers felt that the old corporate bureaucracy was too hierarchical and sclerotic. So uh, to some extent, um, the, the picture of how boomers have tried to move the cultural political needle isn't necessarily reflected in politics because boomers thought that politics wasn't a place that you can accomplish something. I think now they're realizing that the people that who want to turn back the clock are trying to accomplish something, and boomers might have to wake up and rejoin that battle. Yeah. I'm not sure. I, I'm not, I just I would have expected a much more of a dramatic kind of change in the political scene. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw something out at you, which you may just dismiss out of hand here, but I think what happened in terms of politics to the, to the so-called boomer generation in the 60s is Kent State. Mm -hmm. I think once the government, whether by design, happenstance, tragic as it is, once the government was involved in shooting demonstrators, the entire tenor and the, the 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 approach of people involved in politics changed dramatically, and I've I have not heard many people talk about this, but it just seems like it was at the, from that point forward that the, the 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 stakes got a lot higher when when people started getting shot, and and then things changed. Do you have any any well, comment on that? I, I think. But I think that is a is a um, uh, an extension of what I was saying, which is that the government was responsive, if not responsive, if not hostile, yeah. toward any number of these changes. Um, so yeah. therefore, you have to find other ways to yeah. deal with it. Yeah. And I think what boomers have felt is that politics is largely irrelevant to our daily lives. Yeah. Um, that's why you see so many boomers calling themselves independents. In, in politics these days. Um, and so if politics becomes irrelevant to your daily life, how do you change your daily life to conform with the values that you care about? So you do it in your families, you do it in your universities, you do it in your workplaces, you do it in your institutions uh, and, the, and, and in your communities. And I think that's where a lot of this energy is gone, mm -hmm. but it's largely outside the spotlight of the media 
because the media only look at those sort of controversial big picture, big item things, and don't look at the sort of the daily legwork of democracy that's going on throughout America. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to run away from this topic. Yeah. yeah only because, well, I'm, uh, on one hand, I do think that, uh, that it, I guess what you're saying is that, that boomers uh, engaged in politics by being less political and more uh, activist. Direct. More direct. Mm-hmm. Is, is that, am I summing that up? Correct. Pretty they much? did it in the, the parts of their lives that they can actually have a real and tangible influence on. But let's also not forget that even conservative politicians have pretty much tried to accommodate some of these values and norms. Remember, uh, when George Bush ran in 2000 and 2004, it wasn't the religious right that he was putting up on the stage in prime time. They were hidden from the media in small hotel rooms. Um, the people out in prime time were minorities, women, moderates, even pro-choice Republicans. Uh, and so it's very interesting that even a conservative president or candidate felt a need to accommodate those norms to say symbolically, I'm not going to roll this stuff back. Now, the fact that he might be doing it is another issue, but he felt a need to communicate to people because he saw what happened when Patrick Buchanan said we need to have a culture war and return things back to the 50s. George Bush Sr. could barely get 35% of the vote in 1992. So what do you think that the uh, the greatest accomplishment of the boomer generation is? Do you think that it, that it has something to do with, with uh taking the focus away from the traditional uh, uh, routes like uh, politics? Or is it you know, more in a, a definite, like a, a, a cultural change, like uh, in, in uh, tolerance? I think it's the latter. Um, I think it's changing the norms. Uh, and changing norms is very powerful because what you do is you change the expectations of how people should lead their lives. And therefore, if you change expectations and what people say is sort of publicly moral or acceptable, then people begin to change and lead more tolerant and inclusive and equal lives and respect the freedom of others. Um, I think it's respecting pluralism. It's respecting the pluralism and diversity that our country had too long tried to deny and it now respects that and cherishes it. So I think boomers in our boomer culture today, you know, we fully celebrate letting a thousand flowers bloom. Just don't step on somebody else's flower and let it grow. So I think there's a wide diversity of opinions and experiences and activities and, and, and personal pursuits that's healthy in a democracy because, after all, what's a democracy about if not for protecting people's ability to express themselves? Oh, now, now, here's one for you. How do you account for George W. Bush, who would be a boomer, who is really, I, I think, appealing to his generation for the most part? It, it's almost as if the, the boomers you're describing are the, the, uh, the, the east and west coast. And and the boomers, <laughs> the other boomers are, are in the middle of the country and, and supporting uh, really a much more traditional uh, lifestyle than the the boomer generation was pushing well again yeah when you look at a generation you just can't look at a demographic because uh in that sense you know how could you talk about the founding fathers generation when there were lots of british loyalists among them yeah 
Um, and even the, uh, the greatest generation, there were Hitler sympathizers among them. You know, you had Charles Lindbergh running around. And Henry uh, Ford. <laughs> right, and Henry Ford. Uh, uh, but so, um, so, you know, what I try to do when I look at what the great sociologists have said is not necessarily look at every single person, but yeah. look at the sensibility of that particular generation. And as I was saying, I think even George Bush understands that sort of he needs to accommodate that sensibility. Remember, after 9-11, one of the first things that he did was go to a mosque and celebrate pluralism of religion and religious tolerance. We might have had red scares or the functional equivalent thereof in previous generations. Um, in 2004, George Bush runs against gay marriage, but then he's asked a question, what about civil unions? And he says, well, I guess if state-supported civil unions, I could live with that. Now, imagine a conservative president even 15 or 20 years ago saying anything like that. Imagine even if gay marriage was an issue at those times. So I think, in a funny sense, even though he's a very conservative president, um, he, uh, you know, he, he has accepted many of these norms. But let's also look at the politics for a second. The, the parts of the country that tend to be most socially conservative are the more rural parts. You've got, let's say, Montana and Wyoming, wonderful states, but you add those two together, and they have, what, maybe a million or so citizens? Yeah. Four senators. California, how many citizens? 35, 40 million? Two senators. So the political system at this point is somewhat weighted toward those population centers or population areas that tend to be more socially conservative, even though if you look at the population as a whole, it tends to be more socially moderate and liberal. Uh, we're speaking with Leonard Steinhorn, the author of The Greater Generation in Defense of the Baby Boom Legacy. Mike, you had something? Well, no, I just, I, I keep coming back to this, uh, and I, I, being of this era, I, I just, I, it always bothers me um, how how ineffective we've we've been in terms of changing the political landscape. I know I keep coming back to this, but, that these are these are big issues, and they require you know electoral politics in order to affect them. And in in if it hadn't been for the civil rights acts of, of the of the mid '60s, uh, we we would we may still be living in a quasi apartheid uh, regime. I, I think in, there there takes it takes political leadership to change to change these things. And I just see this colossal failure on the part of our generation. Can, can I just jump in? Yeah. And, say, and I just want to ask, uh, do you think the uh, baby boom uh, generation's greatest time is yet to come? Okay. Well, I guess. Well, um, I'll, I'll answer both of those okay. questions at the same time. As I said, I think boomers sort of checked out of electoral politics in the 60s because they saw that it wasn't something that could give them responses with Vietnam and race and, and all sorts of other things going yeah. on and women's rights. Um, so I think boomer leaders have emerged in areas that were sort of economic, entrepreneurial, technological, social, and cultural. Okay, um, But I do think that boomers are going to sort of wake up because the prohibitionists of the 1920s seem to be emerging. Now, if we were the media today, if we were the media in 1921-22, we'd be talking about prohibitionists as the locus of power in society. But they were really the wave of the past, not the wave of the future. And But they won with the 18th or the Prohibition Amendment, okay? Um, and I think what happened is that people wake up and they say, huh, 
we can't accept that. And so it may just be that boomers may produce people in politics who are going to refuse to, to allow the culture to be rolled back to the days before we appreciated our pluralism. So uh, I think boomers have accomplished a lot in the culture. Politics may be, in an ironic sense, their final act. Yeah. All right. Well, um, uh, thank you very much. I want to remind our listeners once again, we've been speaking with Leonard Steinhorn is the author of The Greater Generation in Defense of the Baby Boom Legacy. It's a terrific book. Uh, and I and as you said at the beginning, I mean, it, it is something that really needed to be talked about because I think many people don't quite understand or weren't around, obviously, for the, the good part of the the boomer generation. And, uh, and I think it's we need to constantly be vigilant about our legacy, and I think that this is a good book. To, to talk about that. So thank you very much, Leonard. Well, thanks very much. I appreciate it. All right. Take care. Take Bye-bye. care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. To learn more about Weekly Signals interviews, including upcoming guests, or to download the podcast, visit our website at weeklysignals.com. And be sure to visit nathancallahan.com for daily readings and feature articles. Until next week... I'm Nathan Callahan, and I'm Mike Caspar, and this is Weekly Signals.